Book Two, Chapter Twenty of the Mystical City of God, Volume Three, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book Two, Chapter Twenty. Our Savior, by order of Pilate, is scourged, crowned with thorns, and mocked. The behavior of the Most Holy Mary during this time. Pilate, aware of the obstinate hostility of the Jews against Jesus of Nazareth, and unwilling to condemn him to death, of which he knew him to be innocent, thought that a severe scourging of Jesus might placate the fury of the ungrateful people, and soothe the envy of the priests and scribes. If he should have failed in anything pertaining to their ceremonies and rites, they would probably consider him sufficiently chastised, and cease in their persecutions and in their clamors for his death. Pilate was led to this belief by what they had told him in the course of his trial, for they had vainly and foolishly calumniated Christ of not observing the Sabbath and other ceremonies, as is evident from his sermons reported by the evangelists. John chapter 9 verse 6. But Pilate was entirely wrong in his judgment, and acted like an ignorant man, for neither could the master of all holiness be guilty of any defect in the observance of that law, which he had come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Matthew chapter 5 verse 7. Nor even if the accusation had been true, would he have deserved such an outrageous punishment, for the laws of the Jews, far from demanding such an inhuman and cruel scourging, contained other regulations for atonement of the more common faults. In still greater error was this judgment in expecting any mercy or natural kindness and compassion from the Jews. Their anger and wrath against the most meek master was not human, not such as ordinarily is appeased by the overthrow and humiliation of the enemy. For men have hearts of flesh, and the love of their own kind is natural, and the source of at least some compassion. But these perfidious Jews were clothed in the guise of demons, or rather transformed into demons, who exert the more furious rage against those who are rendered more helpless and wretched, who, when they see anyone most helpless, say, Let us pursue him now, since he has none to defend nor free him from our hands. Such was the implacable fury of the priests and of their confederates, the Pharisees, against the author of life. For Lucifer, despairing of being able to hinder his murder by the Jews, inspired them with his own dreadful malice and outrageous cruelty. Pilate, placed between the known truth and his human and terrestrial considerations, chose to follow the erroneous leading of the latter, and ordered Jesus to be severely scourged, though he had himself declared him free from guilt. John chapter 19 verse 1. Thereupon, those ministers of Satan, with many others, brought Jesus our Savior to the place of punishment, which was a courtyard or enclosure attached to the house, and set apart for the torture of criminals, in order to force them to confess their crimes. It was enclosed by a low, open building, surrounded by columns, some of which supported the roof, while others were lower and stood free. To one of these columns, which was of marble, they bound Jesus very securely, for they still thought him a magician, and feared his escape. They first took off the white garment, with not less ignominy than when they clothed him therein, in the house of the adulterous homicide Herod. In loosening the robes and chains, 
which he had borne since his capture in the garden, they cruelly widened the wounds which his bonds had made in his arms and wrists. Having freed his hands, they commanded him with infamous blasphemies to despoil himself of the seamless tunic which he wore. This was the identical garment with which his most blessed mother had clothed him in Egypt when he first began to walk, as I have related in its place. Our Lord at present had no other garment, since they had taken from him his mantle or cloak, when they seized him in the garden. The Son of the Eternal Father obeyed the executioners, and began to unclothe himself, ready to bear the shame of the exposure of his most sacred and modest body before such a multitude of people. But his torturers, impatient at the delay which modesty required, tore away the tunic with violence, in order to hasten his undressing, and, as is said, flay the sheep with the wool. With the exception of a strip of cloth for a cincture, which he wore beneath the tunic, and with which his mother likewise had clothed him in Egypt, the Lord stood now naked. These garments had grown with his sacred body, nor had he ever taken them off. The same is to be said of his shoes, which his mother had placed on his feet. However, as I have said on a former occasion, he had many times walked barefooted during his preaching. I understood that some of the doctors have said, or have persuaded themselves, that our Savior Jesus at his scourging and at his crucifixion, for his greater humiliation, permitted the executioners to despoil him of all his clothing. But having again been commanded under holy obedience to ascertain the truth in this matter, I was told that the divine master was prepared to suffer all the insults compatible with decency, that the executioners attempted to subject his body to this shame of total nakedness, seeking to despoil him of the cincture which covered his loins, but in that they failed, because, on touching it, their arms became paralyzed and stiff, as had happened also in the house of Caiaphas, when they attempted to take off his clothes. All the six of his tormentors separately made the attempt, with the same result. Yet afterwards, these ministers of evil, in order to scourge him with greater effect, raised some of the coverings, for so much the Lord permitted, but not that he should be uncovered and despoiled of his garments entirely. The miracle of their being hindered and paralyzed in their brutal attempts did not, however, move or soften the hearts of these human beasts, but in their diabolical insanity, they attributed it all to the supposed sorcery and witchcraft of the author of truth and life. Thus the Lord stood uncovered in the presence of a great multitude, and the six torturers bound him brutally to one of the columns, in order to chastise him so much the more at their ease. Then, two by two at a time, they began to scourge him with such inhuman cruelty as was possible only in men possessed by Lucifer, as were these executioners. The first two scourged the innocent Savior with hard and thick cords, full of rough knots, and in their sacrilegious fury strained all the powers of their body to inflict the blows. This first scourging raised in the deified body of the Lord great welts and livid tumors, so that the sacred blood gathered beneath the skin and disfigured his whole body. Already it began to ooze through the wounds. The first two having at length desisted, the second pair continued the scourging in still greater emulation. With hardened leather thongs, they leveled their strokes upon the places already sore and caused the discolored tumors to break open and shed forth the sacred blood until it bespattered and drenched the garments of the sacrilegious torturers, 
running down also in streams to the pavement. Those two gave way to the third pair of scourgers, who commenced to beat the Lord with extremely tough raw hides, dried hard like ozer twigs. They scourged him still more cruelly, because they were wounding not so much his virginal body as cutting into the wounds already produced by the previous scourging. Besides, they had been secretly incited to greater fury by the demons, who were filled with new rage at the patience of Christ. As the veins of the sacred body had now been opened, and his whole person seemed but one continued wound, the third pair found no more room for new wounds. Their ceaseless blows inhumanly tore the immaculate and virginal flesh of Christ our Redeemer, and scattered many pieces of it about the pavement, so much so that a large portion of the shoulder bones were exposed, and showed red through the flowing blood. In other places also, the bones were laid bare larger than the palm of the hand. In order to wipe out entirely that beauty, which exceeded that of all other men. Psalm 44 verse 3. They beat him in the face and in the feet and hands, thus leaving unwounded not a single spot in which they could exert their fury and wrath against the most innocent lamb. The divine blood flowed to the ground, gathering here and there in great abundance. The scourging in the face and in the hands and feet was unspeakably painful because these parts are so full of sensitive and delicate nerves. His venerable countenance became so swollen and wounded that the blood and the swellings blinded him. In addition to their blows, the executioners spurted upon his person their disgusting spittle and loaded him with insulting epithets. The exact number of blows dealt out to the Savior from head to foot was 5,115. The great Lord and author of all creation, who by his divine nature was incapable of suffering, was in his human flesh and for our sake reduced to a man of sorrows as prophesied and was made to experience our infirmities becoming the last of men isaiah chapter 53 verse 3 a man of sorrows and the outcast of the people the multitudes who had followed the lord filled up the courtyard of pilate's house and the surrounding streets for all of them waited for the issue of this event discussing and arguing about it, according to each one's views. Amid all this confusion, the Virgin Mother endured unheard-of insults, and she was deeply afflicted by the injuries and blasphemies heaped upon her divine Son by the Jews and Gentiles. When they brought Jesus to the scourging place, she retired in the company of the Marys and St. John to a corner of the courtyard. Assisted by her divine visions, she there witnessed all the scourging and the torments of our Savior. Although she did not see it with the eyes of her body, nothing was hidden to her, no more than if she had been standing quite near. Human thoughts cannot comprehend how great and how diverse were the afflictions and sorrows of the great queen and mistress of the angels. Together with many other mysteries of the divinity, they shall become manifest in the next life, for the glory of the Son and Mother. I have already mentioned in other places of this history, and especially in that of the Passion, that the Blessed Mother felt in her own body all the torments of her son. This was true also of the scourging, which she felt in all the parts of her virginal body, in the same intensity as they were felt by Christ in his body. Although she shed no blood except what flowed from her eyes with her tears, nor was lacerated in her flesh, yet the bodily pains, 
so changed and disfigured her that saint john and the holy women failed to find in her any resemblance of herself besides the tortures of the body she suffered ineffable sorrows of the soul there sorrow was augmented in proportion to the immensity of her insight ecclesiastes chapter one verse eighteen for her sorrows flowed not only from the natural love of a mother and a supreme love of christ as her god but it was proportioned to her power of judging more accurately than all creatures of the innocence of christ the dignity of his divine person the atrocity of the insults coming from the perfidious jews and the children of adam whom he was freeing from eternal death having at length executed the sentence of scourging the executioners unbound the lord from the column and with imperious and blasphemous presumption commanded him immediately to put on his garment but while they had scourged the most meek master one of his tormentors instigated by the devil had hidden his clothes out of sight in order to prolong the nakedness and exposure of his divine person for their derision and sport this evil purpose suggested by the devil was well known to the mother of the lord she therefore making use of her power as queen commanded lucifer and all his demons to leave the neighborhood and immediately compelled by her sovereign power and virtue they fled she gave orders that the tunic be brought by the holy angels within reach of her most holy son so that he could again cover his sacred and lacerated body all this was immediately attended to although the sacrilegious executioners understood not the miracle nor how it had been wrought they attributed it all to the sorcery and magic of demons during this protracted nakedness our saviour had in addition to his wounds suffered greatly from the cold of that morning as mentioned by the evangelists mark chapter fourteen verse fifty five luke chapter twenty two verse thirty five john chapter eighteen verse eighteen his sacred blood had frozen and compressed the wounds which had become inflamed and extremely painful the cold had diminished his powers of resistance although the fire of his infinite charity strained them to the utmost in order to suffer more and more though compassion is so natural in rational creatures there was none for him in his affliction and necessity except that of his sorrowful mother who tearfully bewailed and pitied him in the name of the whole human race among other divine mysteries hidden to the wise of this world this also causes great astonishment that the wrath of the jews who were men of flesh and blood like ours should not have been appeased at their seeing christ torn and wounded by five thousand one hundred and fifteen lashes that the sight of a person so lacerated should not have moved their natural compassion but should arouse their envy to inflict new and unheard of tortures upon the victim their implacable fury at once planned another outrageous cruelty they went to pilate and in the presence of his counsellors said this seducer and deceiver of the people jesus of nazareth in his boasting and vanity has sought to be recognized by all as the king of the jews in order that his pride may be humbled and his presumption be confounded we desire your permission to place upon him the royal insignia merited by his fantastic pretensions pilate yielded to the unjust demand of the jews permitting them to proceed according to their intentions thereupon they took jesus to the praetorium where with the same cruelty and contempt they again despoiled him of his garments 
and in order to deride him before all the people as a counterfeit king, clothed him in a much torn and soiled mantle of purple color. They placed also upon his sacred head a cap made of woven thorns, to serve him as a crown. John chapter 19 verse 2. This cap was woven of thorn branches, and in such a manner that many of the hard and sharp thorns would penetrate into the skull, some of them to the ears and others to the eyes. Hence one of the greatest tortures suffered by the Lord was that of the crown of thorns. Instead of a scepter, they placed into his hands a contemptible reed. They also threw over his shoulders a violet-colored mantle, something of the style of capes worn in churches, for such a garment belonged to the vestiture of a king. In this array of a mock king, the perfidious Jews decked out him, who by his nature and every right was the king of the kings and the lord of lords. Apocalypse chapter 19 verse 16. Then all the soldiers, in the presence of the priests and Pharisees, gathered around him and heaped upon him their blasphemous mockery and derision. Some of them bent their knees and mockingly said to him, God save thee, king of the Jews. Others buffeted him. Others snatched the cane from his hands and struck him on his crowned head. Others ejected their disgusting spittle upon him. All of them, instigated by furious demons, insulted and affronted him in different manners. O oh, charity incomprehensible and exceeding all measure! O oh, patience never seen or imagined among mortals! Who, O oh, my Lord and God, since thou art the true and mighty God, both in essence and in thy works, who can oblige thee to suffer the humiliation of such unheard-of torments, insults, and blasphemies? On the contrary, O oh my God, who among men has not done many things, which offend thee, and which should have caused thee to refuse suffering, and to deny them favor? Who could ever believe all this, if we knew not of thy infinite goodness? But now, since we see it, and in firm faith, look upon such admirable blessings and miracles of love, where is our judgment? What effect upon us has the light of truth? What enchantment is this that we suffer, since at the very sight of thy sorrows, scourges, thorns, insults, and affronts, we seek for ourselves, without the least shame or fear, the delights, the riches, the ease, the performance and vanities of this world. Truly great is the number of fools. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 15 since the greatest foolishness and dishonesty is to recognize a debt and be unwilling to pay it, to receive blessings and never give thanks for them, to have before one's eyes the greater good and despise it, to claim it for ourselves and make no use of it, to turn away and fly from life and seek eternal death. The most innocent Jesus opened not his mouth in those great and many injuries, nor was the furious wrath of the Jews appeased, either by the mockery and derision of the divine master, or by the torments added to the contempt of his most exalted person. It seemed to Pilate that the spectacle of a man so ill-treated as Jesus of Nazareth would move and fill with shame the hearts of that ungrateful people. Therefore he commanded Jesus to be brought from the praetorium to an open window, where all could see him crowned with thorns, disfigured by the scourging and the ignominious vestiture of a mock king, Pilate himself spoke to the people, calling out to them, Ecce homo! Behold, what a man! John chapter 19, verse 5. 
See this man, whom you hold as your enemy. What more can I do with him than to have punished him in this severe manner? You certainly have nothing more to fear from him. I do not find any cause of death in him. What this judge said was certainly the full truth, but in his own words he condemned his outrageous injustice, since knowing and confessing that this man was just and not guilty of death, he had nevertheless ordered him to be tormented and punished in such a way that, according to the natural course, he should have been killed many times over. Oh, blindness of self-love! Oh, hellish malice of estimating only the influence of those who can confer or take away mere earthly dignities! How deeply do such motives obscure the reason! How much do they twist the course of justice! How completely do they pervert the greatest truths in judging of the just by the standards of the unjust! Tremble, ye judges of the earth! Psalm 2, verse 10. Look to it that the sentences you render are not full of deceit, for you yourselves shall be judged and condemned by your unjust judgments. As the priests and Pharisees, in their eager and insatiable hostility, were irrevocably bent upon taking away the life of Christ our Savior, nothing but his death would content or satisfy them. Therefore they answered Pilate, Crucify him! Crucify him! John chapter 19 verse 6. When the blessed among women, most holy Mary, saw her divine son as Pilate showed him to the people and heard him say, Ecce homo, she fell upon her knees and openly adored him as the true God-man. The same was also done by St. John and the holy women, together with all the holy angels of the queen and lady, for they saw that not only Mary, as the mother of the Savior, but that God himself desired them thus to act. The most prudent lady spoke to the Eternal Father, to the angels, and especially to her most beloved Son, precious words of sorrow, compassion, and profound reverence, possible to be conceived only in her chaste and love-inflamed bosom. In her exalted wisdom, she pondered also the ways and means by which the evidences of his innocence could be made most opportunely manifest at a time when he was so insulted, mocked, and despised by the Jews. With this most proper intention, she renewed the petitions above mentioned, namely that Pilate, in his quality of judge, continue to maintain the innocence of Jesus our Savior, and that all the world should understand that Jesus was not guilty of death, nor of any of the crimes imputed to him by the Jews. On account of these prayers of the Most Blessed Mother, Pilate was made to feel great compassion at seeing Jesus, so horribly scourged and ill-treated, and regret at having punished him so severely. Although he was naturally disposed to such emotions, by his soft and compassionate disposition, yet they were principally caused by the light he received, through the intercession of the Queen and Mother of Grace. This same light moved the unjust judge, after the crowning of thorns, to prolong his parley with the Jews, for the release of Christ, as is recorded in the nineteenth chapter of the Gospel of St. John. When they again asked him to crucify the Lord, he answered, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I do not find any cause for doing it. They replied, According to our law, he is guilty of death, for he claims to be the Son of God. This reply threw Pilate into greater consternation, for he conceived it might be true, that Jesus was the Son of God, according to his heathen notions of the divinity. Therefore he withdrew with Jesus into the praetorium, where speaking with him alone, he asked whence he was, 
The Lord did not answer this question, for Pilate was not in a state of mind either to understand or to merit a reply. Nevertheless, he insisted and said to the king of heaven, Dost thou then not speak to me? Dost thou not know that I have power to crucify thee and power to dismiss thee? Pilate sought to move him to defend himself and tell what he wanted to know. It seemed to Pilate that a man so wretched and tormented would gladly accept any offer of favor from a judge. But the master of truth answered Pilate without defending himself, but with unexpected dignity, for he said, Thou shouldest not have any power against me, unless it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that hath delivered me to thee hath the greater sin. This answer by itself made the condemnation of Christ inexcusable in Pilate, since he could have understood therefrom that neither he nor Caesar had any power of jurisdiction over this man Jesus, that by a much higher decree he had been so unreasonably and unjustly delivered over to his judgment, that therefore Judas and the priests had committed a greater sin than he in not releasing him, and that nevertheless he too was guilty of the same crime, though in not such high degree. Pilate failed to arrive at these mysterious truths, but he was struck with still greater consternation at the words of Christ our Lord, and therefore made still more strenuous efforts to liberate him. The priests, who were now abundantly aware of his intentions, threatened him with the displeasure of the emperor, which he would incur if he permitted this one, who had aspired to be king, to escape death. They said, If thou freest this man, thou art no friend of Caesar, since he who makes a king of himself rises up against his orders and commands. They argued this because the Roman emperors never permitted anyone in the whole empire to assume the title or insignia of a king without their consent and order. If therefore Pilate should permit it, he would contravene the decrees of Caesar. He was much disturbed at this malicious and threatening intimation of the Jews, and seating himself in his tribunal at the sixth hour in order to pass sentence upon the Lord, he once more turned to plead with the Jews, saying, See there your king! And all of them answered, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! He replied, Shall I crucify your king? Whereupon they shouted unanimously, We have no other king than Caesar! Pilate permitted himself to be overcome by the obstinacy and malice of the Jews. On the day of the Periscave, then, seated in his tribunal, which in Greek was called Lithostratos, and in Hebrew, Gabatha, he pronounced the sentence of death against the author of life, as I shall relate in the following chapter. The Jews departed from the hall in great exultation and joy, proclaiming the sentence of the most innocent lamb. That they did not realize whom they thus sought to annihilate was the occasion of our redemption. All this was well known to the sorrowful mother, who, though outside of the hall of judgment, saw all the proceedings by exalted vision. When the priests and Pharisees rushed forth, exalting in the condemnation of Christ to the death of the cross, the pure heart of this most blessed mother was fixed with new sorrow, and was pierced and transfixed with the sword of unalleviated bitterness, since the sorrow of Most Holy Mary on this occasion surpassed all that can enter the thoughts of man, it is useless to speak more of it, and it must be referred to the pious meditation of Christians. Just as impossible is it to enumerate her interior acts of adoration, 
worship, reverence, love, compassion, sorrow, and resignation. Instruction which the great queen and lady of heaven gave me. My daughter, thou reflectest with wonder upon the hardness and malice of the Jews, the weakness of Pilate, who knew of their evil dispositions, and permitted himself to be overcome, though fully convinced of the innocence of my son and lord. I wish to relieve thee of this astonishment, by furnishing thee with instructions and warnings, suitable for making thee careful on the path to eternal life. Know then that the ancient prophecies concerning the mysteries of the redemption, and all the holy scriptures, were to be infallibly fulfilled. For sooner shall heaven and earth fall to pieces, than that their words fail their effect, as determined in the divine mind. Matthew chapter 24 verse 35, Acts of the Apostles chapter 3 verse 18. In order that the most ignominious death foretold for my Lord should be brought about. Wisdom chapter 2 verse 20, Jeremiah chapter 11 verse 19. It was necessary that he should be persecuted by men, but that these men should happen to be the Jews, the priests, and the unjust Pilate was their own misfortune, not the choice of the Almighty, who wishes to save all. First letter to St. Timothy, chapter 2, verse 4. Their own wickedness and malice brought them to their ruin, for they resisted the great grace of having in their midst their Redeemer and Master, of knowing Him, of conversing with Him, of hearing His doctrine and preaching, of witnessing his miracles. They had received such great favors as none of the ancient patriarchs had attained by their longings. Matthew chapter 13 verse 7. Hence the cause of the Savior was justified. He manifestly had cultivated his vineyard by his own hands and showered his favors upon it. Matthew chapter 21 verse 33. But it brought him only thorns and briars, and its keepers took away his life refusing to recognize him, as was their opportunity and their duty before all other men. This same, which happened in the head, Christ the Lord and Son of God, must happen to all the members of his mystical body, that is, to the just and predestined, to the end of the world. For it would be monstrous to see the members incongruous with the head, the children show no relation with the father, or the disciples unlike their master, although sinners must always exist. Matthew chapter 18 verse 7. Since in this world the just shall always be mingled with the unjust, the predestined with the reprobate, the persecutors with the persecuted, the murderers with the murdered, the afflicting with the afflicted, yet these lots are decided by the malice and the goodness of men. Unhappy shall be he, through whom scandal comes into the world, and who thus makes himself an instrument of the demon. This kind of activity was begun in the new church, by the priests and Pharisees, and by Pilate, who all persecuted the head of this mystical body, and in the further course of the world, by all those who persecute its members, the saints and the predestined, imitating and following the Jews and the devil in their evil work. Think well then, my dearest, which of these lots thou wishest to choose in the sight of my son and me, if thou seest thy Redeemer, thy spouse and thy chief, tormented, afflicted, crowned with thorns, and saturated with reproaches, and at the same time desirous to have a part in him and be a member of his mystical body, it is not becoming or even possible that thou live steeped in the pleasures of the flesh. 
thou must be the persecuted not the persecutor the oppressed and not the oppressor the one that bears the cross that encounters the scandal and not that gives it the one that suffers and at the same time makes none of the neighbors suffer on the contrary thou must exert thyself for their conversion and salvation in as far as is compatible with the perfection of thy state and vocation this is the portion of the friends of god and the inheritance of his children in mortal life in this consists the participation in grace and glory which by his torments and reproaches and by his death of the cross my son and lord has purchased for them i too have cooperated in this work and have paid the sorrows and afflictions which thou hast understood and which i wish thou shalt never allow to be blotted out from my inmost memory the almighty would indeed have been powerful enough to exalt his predestined in this world to give them riches and favors beyond those of others to make them strong as lions for reducing the rest of mankind to their invincible power but it was inopportune to exalt them in this manner in order that men might not be led into the error of thinking that greatness consists in what is visible and happiness in earthly goods lest being induced to forsake virtues and obscure the glory of the lord they fail to experience the efficacy of divine grace and cease to aspire to spiritual and eternal things this is the science which i wish thee to study continually and in which thou must advance day by day putting into practice all that thou learnest to understand and know end of chapter twenty